This is a Federal News Network podcast. Supply chain security issues have been dominating the news lately, that plus rising costs and longer delivery times. The Biden administration has taken some steps to help logistics companies. For an assessment, Federal News Network's Eric White spoke with the senior vice president of policy and senior counsel at the Information Technology Industry Council, John Miller. I would start by saying agencies are, are actually doing a lot. Um, better, uh, February's America's Supply Chain Executive Order kicked off a flurry of activity um, on supply chains across the government. Um, you know, in, in my world, uh, Commerce and uh, CISA, the Cybersecurity Inf- uh, and Infrastructure Security Agency, uh, have been working on uh, the ICT supply chain piece. Um, Commerce previously put out a report uh, put out a report on the semiconductor piece, uh, but there's numerous other agencies also involved doing things: Energy, Defense, HHS, uh, and others. Um, so there are a number of implementation activities in flight, and and one of the other hats I wear is as the co-chair of the CISA-led um, ICT Supply Chain Risk Management Task Force. Uh, and the task force has been engaged with Commerce and CISA, providing our expertise as they as they write the one-year report that was required pursuant to the um, America's Supply Chain's executive order. Um, you know, so I, I, I think in terms of what more could could be done besides all of this activity, Um, You know, in a lot of ways, one of the things that that we consistently urge the government to do is to at least make sure that everything you're doing is streamlined. Um, And I think there are so many activities going on that from an industry perspective, you know, we we really continue to urge the government to drive a strategic, coordinated and holistic approach to these issues um, so that, you know, we're all pointed in the same direction. Yeah, that's a good segue into my next question, which is there are so many moving parts or lack of moving parts recently um, that go into this sort of thing. Is it the kind of thing where, you know, they're they're doing all they can and it's just going to have to resolve itself because, you know, like you said, there's just so many moving parts that even streamlining it may not actually end up streamlining it. I, I would not say that the situation that, that we're currently dealing with will simply resolve itself. I mean, it's true that some of the issues that we're experiencing are uh, the, the result of the, the unprecedented pandemic that we've all been, been been dealing with for the past year and a half plus already at this point. But I think one of the things that the pandemic um, has actually helped us all understand is that there were some systemic um, challenges to supply ch- to the area of, of supply chain risk management that um, it, you know it, it, it's really important that that we collectively uh, address longer term um, you know so some of these things were were, were already underway, um, you know, such as the, the need to diversify supply chains to a broader array of locations and, and away from single source or, or single region suppliers. Um, you know, and the, the pandemic has just underscored the, the need uh, to, to continue working on that issue even beyond the pandemic. Yeah, even before the pandemic, as far as critical supply chains go for those tools and materials needed for things like major infrastructure projects that are well critical. <laughs> um, how vulnerable were those supply chains? And was anybody really kind of raising the alarm bells before all of this happened 
um, to say, hey, you know, we need to really diversify where we're getting this stuff from. Yeah, I, I mean, you, you know, as I, as I just said, the, the, the pandemic has reminded us uh, that, you know, the, due to the complexity of, of these supply chains um, and the many, many potential threats that are that that, that are out there, um, you know, and there's diff- different types of threats, of course, that, you know, the supply chain, there are always supply, there was always vulnerability in the supply chain, I guess maybe is, 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 is the best way to put it. And that really, you know, helps to, to illustrate why, you know, there's always a need for supply chain risk management. I mean, I can tell you, you know, again, from both the, uh, the, the ITI perspective and, and, the, and the perspective of the, um, the task force, that I mentioned earlier. I mean, that was incepted in December two, 2018. Um, so that's certainly well before the, the pandemic came into our lives. And I mean, so that task force, you know, and that, that's a task force that that involves um, over a dozen federal partners, as well as X from the IT and communication sectors, you know, has been working on these supply chain risk management issues uh, for, for, for nearly three years. And there are many, you know, across industry and government who have been working on these issues for a decade or more. I, I mean, one of the things that, that we did as a task force was to catalog roughly 200 supplier-related threats ranging from, from cybersecurity uh, to, to counterfeits to legal and economic risks to, you know, indeed external end-to-end risks such as natural disasters or pandemics, um, you know, and, and one of the things that's, again, been driven home here uh, is that any of these many risks could have disruptive impacts on a complex supply chain. And, you know, the pandemic has, has really helped to highlight what some of the, the structural issues are. Um, and, uh, you know, I think it's one of the reasons that the work that's happening right now to address these issues is so important. As the government piles on more and more responsibilities to critical infrastructure companies and the industries itself, could we see something in the future where there might be a self-reporting requirement for when supply chain issues are going to arise, where they you know, need to notify said agency to, to make them aware of the situation and see if there's anything that they can do so that there aren't major disruptions that end up billowing into <laughs> any disaster or... Uh, lack of improvement going on. Well, that's an interesting question. Uh, you know, I mean, the th- I think the short answer is that, particularly if we widen the aperture a bit and think about this through the lens of of supply chain information sharing, we, we are already seeing active discussions underway in a couple of different places. I mean, you know, information sharing in the supply chain context is certainly important. You know, it is important to note this is a different kind of sharing than we're seeing in a few other contexts and have seen, particularly in the cybersecurity context. John Miller, a senior vice president and general counsel at ITI, speaking with Federal News Network's Eric White. Hello, and welcome to the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I am your host, Shane Canfield, CEO of WEPA. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Vice Admiral Cutler Dawson. Cutler has had an incredible career serving our country for 35 years in the Navy, where he attained the rank of Vice Admiral. During his service, he had numerous assignments afloat and ashore, including Commander, Second Fleet, Striking Fleet Atlantic, and in Washington at the Pentagon and on Capitol Hill, where he was the Navy's Chief of Legislative Affairs. Immediately following his retirement from active duty in 2004, he became the president and CEO of Navy Federal Credit Union, the world's largest credit union, 
where he served for 14 years. Under his leadership, Navy Federal grew from 2 million to 8 million members. Phenomenal. Cutler, welcome and thanks for joining me. Thank you, Shane. You've had a fascinating career across both military and the private sector. Can you tell us a little bit more about your background and your professional journey? Well, I started out at the Naval Academy where I graduated in 1970. And then, as you mentioned, spent 35 years in the Navy um, with uh, six actual, actual uh, afloat commands. Uh, the first one was when I was 27 years old. Uh, I didn't know enough to be scared of anything. And it was uh, probably one of the highlights of my career. Uh, and then after I retired after 35 years, I went to uh, work at Navy Federal Credit Union as the CEO, where I spent my next 14 years. Um, I'm, I'm currently retired and enjoying life, and um, it's been a great run for me. How would you describe your leadership style, and how's that developed over the years? My style has been quite con consistent. Um, I believe, and I've learned this in the Navy, that you have to go to the deck plates uh, to see what is going on. And you have to learn what your people do and how they do it so you can help them to be better at it and more efficient and more productive. Um, it's um, something that you need to do all the time. Um, I remember I used to tell folks that um, you don't want to retreat to your cabin. And what I mean by that is um, the longer you're in a position, the less you think you have to get out and about but that should be the opposite. You should get out and about more because people change, situations change, and you've got to figure out a way to get to them and find out what they're doing and where, what you can do to help them. Uh, I, we'll talk a little bit more about your book, but I read it um, from C to the C-suite. Fantastic read. You talk about the deck plates in that um, as well. I would encourage everyone to get a copy of this and read some more detail about going to the deck plates. Cutler, who was the most impactful leader in your life and what quality did you admire about them? I had numerous while I was in the Navy, but uh, the quality that, that I enjoyed the most was the leaders that got to know me as an individual and that they cared about me. And I could tell that they cared about me. And they were not only my leaders, but they were my mentors. And um, I remember um, one particular one, Bill Schiffer, when I had my first assignment at the Pentagon, um, I would go in to see him with my problem of the day. And I knew that he had numerous problems of his own, but he would stop and he would focus on me and he would make me feel like I was the most important person in his world. Um, and I, I tried to do that um, throughout my career, but really it's about caring for your people. Cutler, in reading your book, there was a quote you used that you used to inspire those people that work for you. And it really got my attention. And it was, it was you are the captain of your own ship. I wonder if you can talk a little bit about what that means and how it was useful to you and the leaders you were developing. Um, absolutely. Um, what I mean by captain of your own ship, when you are the captain of a ship, sometimes you're in the middle of the ocean and you don't have anybody to turn to to make decisions. You don't have anybody to turn to ask, what should I do now? You have to be the captain of that ship. And I, I translated that um, into, let's say, Navy Federal's organization, where I would tell branch managers that I said, you are the captain 
of the ships of Navy Federal. You're the ones that are facing the, the members or customers as others call them every day. And you have to make decisions without a lot of guidance in some cases and without a lot of time. So be the captain of your own ship, step up, uh, make decisions, uh, do what you think is right and you never can go wrong. I think that is so important. And you have to give your people a little bit of latitude to take some risk as well, because there is risk for them in doing that and risk to your organization. That's right. And, and I mentioned that I took command of my first ship uh, with five years in the Navy and I was 27 years old. Well, my boss had 32 years in the Navy and um, his, his guidance to me when I first met him was, Cutler, you do the right thing and I'll back you up all the way. What a wonderful way to, to spend an assignment with, uh, with backup and, and guidance like that. What, what great, great advice. Uh, it's clear leadership is a topic you're passionate about. You wrote the book we mentioned before, um, From C to C-Suite. Can you tell us a little bit about that project? Yes, when I was at Navy Federal, I would tell sea stories. Uh, as parables to get my point across. And um, folks would tell me, Cutler, we like your stories. It gives us a picture of what you're trying to tell us. Now, what else are they gonna say? They work for me, but uh, uh, I took it as a compliment and it was. And my wife encouraged me to write a book and I needed a co-author to help me. And I found a lady named Taylor Keelan who was the perfect, perfect co-author. She turned in my stories into wonderful chapters um, that I'm very proud of. Where can listeners find a copy? Well, you can get it on Amazon uh, and you can also uh, get it on the Naval Institute website. Uh, and I might add that um, any proceeds from the book Navy Federal uses uh, to give to charity. Fantastic. Cutler, thank you very much. Really enjoyed your time and your lessons in, in leadership and sharing with us your life story. And, and uh, I've learned a lot both from talking to you today and reading your book. And thank you very much for your time. It's my pleasure. And I, I, I would like to add one thing if I could, Shane. Um, during my assignments in Washington, D.C., I gained the utmost respect for the civilians that work here every day. They're hardworking, they're dedicated, and they, they have my eternal gratitude. Uh, I got to come and go from the Pentagon. They stayed every day and worked in Washington when I got to go out and um, enjoy being at sea. Perfect, thank you. Yeah, we, WEPA serves civilian federal employees, but your comment is well taken because the interaction between the two is is continuous, it's nonstop, and it's critical. So uh, the career civil servants, as well as career military, uh, our country would not be where it is today without them. I totally agree. And, and I can tell you from the US Navy standpoint, uh, we couldn't operate like we do without them being the backbone of what we do. Thank you very much for your time today, Cutler. And to everyone listening to Lessons in Leadership podcast, we'll see you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you're sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online.
Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.